And so I want to talk to you about a couple of things this morning. I'm going to give three messages over the next 25 minutes or so. So uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to this week's Parsha, which is Kitisa, which is Exodus chapter 30, beginning at verse 11. By the way, I love that verse we read from the Brit Kedeshah while you're finding this, these verses, where Yeshua says, by the finger of God I cast out demons, because I always imagine him with this huge finger. You know, he's got God's hand in his hand, and he's running around going, cast you out, cast you out. That's not what it means. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the power of God. We use a yod, which is the hand of God, to read from the Torah. It's the finger of God that wrote the commandments onto the stone. That's what Yeshua is talking about by the Torah, by the words that God's finger wrote down is how I'm able to cast out demons. And likewise, we have that same ability to cast out demons if we do it according to God's instructions, His Torah. Amen? That's not the third, fourth, second, or first message. It just popped into my head. So if you have your Bibles, please. So that's four messages in 25 minutes. Okay, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Ki tisa et rosh b'nei Israel. When you take a census of the people of Israel according to their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul. And when you count them, that there should be no plague among them when you count them. And this they shall give everyone who passes among those who are counted half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 gerah. Half a shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Everyone who passes among those who are counted from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more. So rich, you don't get to give more. And the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for your souls. Now, this is an instruction, and just as a little side note, it's this offering that's given each year on Purim. That's uh, the time of the year when this half shekel is still uh, is given, and, and you can go to places in Israel and buy the half shekel, and they collect it, and this is the time they gather it all together, and they give. So you can still give a half shekel offering in Israel, they have special designed coins for that so that you can do this each year as part of the counting of the census or the counting of the people. And everybody gives exactly the same amount because in the kingdom of God, nobody is any greater and nobody is any less. We're all equal. It's an amazing thing. And that goes for Jews and non-Jews. I want you to understand when this is being said, there's a mixed multitude there with Israel, and they all gave this offering together. That doesn't do away with the identities or the differences between Jews and non-Jews, but it does establish that there's not a hierarchy of value in the kingdom that makes Jews more valuable in any way than non-Jews. Amen? Okay. So, but the Hebrew here, and this is the reason I wanted to, to share this, is the Hebrew does not say when you take a census or a count of the people. The Hebrew says ki tisa. Tisa is the, is the second person singular of the word nasa, which means to lift up. As a matter of fact, if you look at that word in other places in the scripture, it says, and he nasa or he yisa, 
the face, the head, he lifted up something. This is, this is a matter of raising something up. And so when the Lord tells them to count people, what he actually says is make the people count. Give them value. And everybody has equal value. So when the Lord says this, that's what happens. Now it's interesting that, that it, I believe, and, and I, I think the scripture lays this out, that it was this half shekel that Yeshua and Peter dealt with with the fish. And if you think about the timing of this, and I believe, and the more I study, the more I see this, that we can follow the calendar by the teachings of Yeshua and what's going on. So we know the event that happened with the fish and the money in the mouth and go catch a fish, not a bunch of fish. Uh, and Rob said the other day in our Torah study, this is the only place we see that he doesn't say cast a net. The other times Yeshua says cast a net off the boat, cast a net out. They carried their net in. They counted the fish in the net. This is the one time he says just throw a hook. You're only going to have to do it one time. You'll catch one fish and the shekel will be there. It'll, it'll be there, the payment, the, what you have to do. And so it tells us that this happened during this season because we're in the season between Purim and Pesach. So this is the season that these events are happening. And he says, during this season, make the people count. Lift them up. Uh, this week in, in my, uh, my little thoughts that I put on the internet, a couple of them had to do with lifting people up. You're, you're never going to make somebody feel better by putting them down. You're never, you, know, you, gotta, you can't lift someone up by putting them down, by speaking badly about them. And we need to learn that. We're gonna, not going to raise unbelievers up to where they'll see the Lord by putting them down. By making them feel like they're inadequate or less. And within the kingdom, um, we have to understand and note that it doesn't matter whether you're the rabbi speaking before the congregation or you're the newest person in the congregation in the eyes of God, we're equal in value and he paid exactly the same price for us, which is a half a shekel. And I love the teachings of the half shekel where it says the reason it's a half shekel is because you need something else to make you whole. We need the kingdom of God. We need the people of God to make us whole. We can't be just ourselves. We have to be joined to something. And more important than that, we need God. In order to have actual value, whole value, we have to have God. So he says, let everyone give a ransom for his soul, an atonement. We're in the time between Purim and Passover as we're starting to understand the payment of ransom for our souls, which comes to fullness on Pesach when Yeshua becomes the ransom or the atonement or the offering for our souls. And all that is laid out within the, the context and the text that we're looking at. So, so I just wanted to bring that out because it's important because we need to understand the significance of the payment that God gave for each of us individually. And it was exactly the same payment for each of us. None of us are worth any more. None of us are worth any less. Doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It's all equal in the eyes of God. So I wanted to look at another verse while we're here. So that's the first message. Turn with me to chapter um, 
33, I think it is. Yeah. I love chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. What a wonderful message to be. What a word of encouragement. I haven't got that message yet, but someday the Lord's going to say, say to the people, they're a stiff-necked people. God doesn't pull punches. He's just real. Okay, so verse 11, chapter 33. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because this also, this, the, the things that I'm talking about today are things that are written in the Bible that we read in the English and we don't quite get the concept of what's doing it. God's not wanting to count the number of people. How many people think God needed to know how many people there were? I mean, he counts the hairs on our heads. He counts the birds in the air. Did he really need? So I'm not sure how many people are left. Would somebody count? You know, unlike our congregation and other congregations who have people sitting on the side taking attendance so that we don't miss somebody. You know why we take attendance? It's not to make sure you're not there. It's to make sure we notice you're not there. Does that make sense? Because we've had people that weren't here for four or five months, and I went, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so for a little while. And Oh, they hadn't been here for six months. And so, well, why didn't somebody tell me? Uh, you know, so, so this way we do that, and then we can contact people and say, hey, why ain't your butt in the chair? So, and, and, and the rest of you, I mean, it's important that... So. Anyhow, so, so we, he, 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 he's not doing a census in order to know how many people there are, because he already knew that. He did a census so the people would know their value as they went forward. So, so that's one thing. So in our, in our scriptures, in, in this chapter, verse 11 says, And Adonai, or Vadaber Adonai El Moshe, Panim Al Panim. And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Now, that, what an amazing thought that the scripture says, and the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Man, I love that. I want to get that relationship where when, when God speaks to me and I speak to him, it's like a friend speaking to a friend uh, without all the beseeches and, you know, just, just two friends talking to each other, two people in relationship talking to each other. It goes on, and he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not from the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I beg you, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I might know you, and I might find grace in your sight, and consider this nation as your people." And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, I want to stop there because the reason I'm doing this is because the word panim that I used in Hebrew, which means face, in Hebrew, it, it actually panim is plural. It means faces. And, and it's not talking about like people having two faces or being two-faced. It's, uh, the reality is that, that our face is made up of all the faces of all of our ancestors all the way back to... Adam. So when somebody sees your face, they aren't seeing your face. They're seeing faces. When I look at my grandchildren, I can see different aspects 
of the different people in, in their lives. We have a, a unique situation because my grandchildren share exactly the same DNA. What? The same, yeah. Because my son's married sisters, so they have all the same grandparents and great-grandparents. We're, it's all the same, so they look like many models. You know, as they grow up, I can see Eliana and then look at Annabella, and I can see what El- Annabella is going to look like when she gets to Eliana's age. And I look at Jackson, and I see uh, Natanel. Thank you, Pam, you reminding me my grandson's name as if I need that help. So anyhow, but because of that, you can see, and so, but I take, I have a picture of me when I was about five, and I take that picture and my son David's picture and my son Andrew's picture and Natanel's picture and Jackson's picture, and we all look exactly the same. I feel so bad for all the rest of them. But each, my face is made up of all the faces before me, and their face is made up of the fa- my face and all the faces going back. So, so the word panim, or faces, is what's used when we talk about the face, the actual structure between the ears below the hair and above the chin. Face, it's faces, panim. But here in verse 14 it says, He said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. But the Hebrew says, Vayumer, Pana. Same word, Panim, Pana, Panae. It's face, but it's translated presence. And we say, Lifne Adonai, before Adonai, but it actually literally says, in front of his face. It's kind of like when I ask Pammy, where's something? And she says, it's in front of your face. Look in the refrigerator. We don't have it. It's right there. It's the reason I can't see it. If it was anywhere else, I would have seen it. But it's right in front of my face. I can't find it. Where is it? The grandchildren go in your room and find something. They go in the room and I can't find it. It's right there. Lifnei Adonai, in front of his face, it means to be in his presence. It's like standing before royalty or in the presence of the king. We say in front of them or before. You enter into and stand in front of the king or the queen. And so it says, verse 13, he said, My presence or my face shall go with you and I will give you rest. Goes on to say, and he said to him, If your presence does not go with me, carry us not out. And it's, Again, same word, if your presence doesn't go with us, carry us not from here. For where shall be known here here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? And that actually says sight. It's actually the word for with the eyes. Is it not that you go with us and we are distinct and I and your people and all your people are upon the face of the earth? Panay face of the earth, not panim, because the earth doesn't have a bunch of faces in its history that make up the face of the earth. It's just the face, contrary to some people's teaching today. Is it not that you go with us that we're distinct, I and your people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. 
And in my sight there is, he's actually talking about looking at him again. And he said, I beg you, show me your glory, not at Kibbutzcha, your glory. Show me your glory. And he says, this is the Lord speaking back. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, al Penecha, and I'll proclaim my name, uh, proclaim the name of the Lord before you, Lifnecha. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face at Panay, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, and you shall stand in the rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but you shall not see or but my face shall not be seen and the word for back is acharei which means the history or behind the 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 back part and so within this text we see this same word the from panay the root used in several different contexts to mean several different things the first time it actually means god spoke with Moses face to face, like a friend talks to a friend. Did Moses actually see God's face? I have no clue. He could have, though, and nothing in the text would prohibit him from seeing that. By the way, those people that say you cannot see God's face and live are misquoting this passage because what he's talking about is not the face of God, panim, but pane, in reference and context to the opposite of what's behind me. What is happening in this text? God is putting Moses in the cleft of the rock and he shows him the history of man and creation so that Moses could write the Torah. How did Moses write about Genesis? How did he know how God said, let there be light? God showed it to him. I imagine it in the, that God just turned on the video. Let him see it. Maybe in interpretive dance. or pantomime. However he did it, it doesn't matter. It's just saying, I'm putting you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to show you the past. But no one can see my future because it would destroy them. And that's what it's saying in the text in context. It's not saying nobody could see the face of God. It's saying nobody can see the future because it will destroy you. It's an interesting way, but if you don't read the Hebrew and know there's a difference between panim and pane and panecha and lifnecha, and then read it in the context of how it's written, you can read the first verse and say, God said he talked face to face and Moses saw him face to face and then he says no one can see him face to face. Is God confused? Is it a contradiction? Is the scripture wrong? Did the scripture lie to us? Did it say it couldn't do something that we could do? No, the context tells us that there's a difference between the way you and I, and by the way, the scripture says that God does not differentiate and have favorites. 
In the King James, I think it says, God is not a respecter of persons. If he spoke face to face with Moses, then he will speak face to face like a friend to a friend with you and I. But just like Moses, you and I cannot see the future. We all want to. That's why if you have a study about prayer and, and uh, uh, meditation and, and fasting, you get three people to show up. But if you have a conference on Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, you'll fill up the place because everybody wants to know the future. How do I know my marriage is going to work? How do I know my kids will be successful? How do I know I should buy this house? How do I know I should do this? How do I? We all want to know the future, but the truth is we don't need to know the future. We need to know God. It's not important for us to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, we do know some things, and if you're watching the news or reading the newspaper and reading the Bible, you'll see they kind of look exactly the same now. But the Lord said, it shall come to pass that my glory is going to pass by, but you shall not see my face. You're not going to see what's in front of us, you'll just see what's behind us. By the way, that's the same reason why the vast majority of the Bible is written to tell us what happened to other people. And we only have glimpses of what's going to happen to us. I see through a glass darkly, but then, do you remember the rest of it? Face to face. It's talking exactly about this. We see through a glass darkly. We only know what we know. We've only been shown what we've been shown, and the truth is you can look, the same people look at the book of Revelation today and tell you exactly what's going to happen. The same type of people looked at those same verses a thousand years ago and had the exact type of revelation. They just make more money doing it now. The point is that God wants to have the face-to-face -face relationship with us, but he doesn't want it to be dependent upon whether or not he'll tell us what's going to happen tomorrow to us or to our family or to our friends or to our nation or to the world. He gave us the past so that we could learn lessons from them so that we could walk out tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So this isn't a contradiction at all. God really wants to look at us and talk to us panim al panim, face to face. He wants to have that kind of relationship. So that's the third message. The fourth message is very simple and short, but I think it's really powerful and I think it's something we need to understand is that within this text we see an example. See, the Scripture says that there would be a prophet like Moses that would come. And we know that prophet is Yeshua, and we know 
why he spoke to God face to face, this, that, prophecies, all the things that go on. But one of the most important things that Moses did that Yeshua followed in doing takes place in this week's parasha. And it has to do with that atonement and that covering we talked about when we talked about making people count and giving the half shekel. And that's that just as Moses pleaded with God for forgiveness over the sin of idolatry and the sin of turning their back on God and the sin of turning their back on God's Torah, on his covenant and for rejecting the ketubah, the marriage contract. If you think about what actually took place on Mount Sinai, that the chuppah is standing there and God's standing under the chuppah and the bride is standing next to God and they're getting ready to sign the ketubah and the bride is cheating on the groom while standing under the chuppah. Could you imagine a greater sin? I mean, if we were to try to talk about it now, and again, this isn't just a husband, like if Pammy and I were under chuppah, God forbid, and, and, and while that was happening, one of us cheated on the other with the bridesmaid or the best man or whatever during the ceremony, that would be horrible. But you take me out of the picture, Pammy out of the picture, and you put Hashem in there. This is the creator of the universe standing under the chuppah marrying his bride. And while the wedding is taking place, she's cheating. While he's signing the ketubah, the the contract, the agreement, she's cheating on him with another god. And it's that background that Moses says to the Lord, Forgive them. Don't you realize that if you don't forgive them, all the world will think you weren't strong enough. And it's the same type of intercession that we see Yeshua speaking for you and I. Every one of us has turned our back on God as the groom in our wedding. Every one of us has chased after idols and false beliefs and doctrines. Every one of us have cheated during the wedding ceremony. And the scripture says in Hebrews that Yeshua made his intercession for us once for all time, that he spoke just like Moses and said, forgive them because if you can't forgive them and restore them and they can't continue to be your people, then nobody will believe in you. You see, The most important testimony we have as believers isn't healing. It isn't financial blessings and provision. It isn't those kind of things. The best testimony we have is that God forgave us. And because people can see God's act of forgiveness in our life, they can have faith in God. Because He could heal every one of us and we'd still be lost. He could give every one of us a million dollars today. (laughs) And we could still be lost. But the very fact that He forgave the people in this room, me, you, when we know the depravity and the depths of our sin, 
When we know how far away from Him we got and how far away we've traveled from Him, even while we were in covenant with Him. And they see God's forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. Then they can believe that He had a plan that He could fulfill and complete and that they could participate in that plan. It's one of the most powerful things that we read in this Parsha is that Moses interceded for Israel and that God listened. And I want you to know it doesn't matter where you've been this week, this year, this month. It doesn't matter how many idols you chased after, whatever sins you've delved into. Understand that Yeshua's intercession for you is just as valid and just as real and just as now as it ever was. And God will still forgive and restore you. And as He does, the people around you will see Him as real. Let's all stand. She's gone? Okay. So we're just going to do the ironic benediction without the song today. But before I do, I think I would be remiss. Jonathan, that means I would be failing. If I didn't give opportunity for anyone who was moved by God's forgiveness and His plan and what Yeshua did to have opportunity to pray and just ask Him to make you new, to forgive you, to confess your sins, your faults to Him and allow Him to start you over so that you would leave here with the testimony you could share so that other people would know the power of forgiveness. Avino Malkeno, our Father, our King, if there's anyone in this room that just needs to be reminded right now of your forgiveness and to take advantage of it, to make of themselves a living sacrifice, to lay down upon the altar and allow you to consume all of the drech from their life. Father, so they can be restored to see you panim al panim, to talk to you face to face as a friend. Father, let them turn their hearts to you right now and just speak to you as a child does to their father. 
words of repentance, words of forgiveness, words requesting and asking and seeking forgiveness. Because your word says if we ask, you will forgive. And so this morning, we just want to give time for anyone who needs to, who wants to, who feels led, feels separate, to restore relationship. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Yevarech Adonai ve'yishmarecha Yair Adonai panavelecha v'chunecha Yisadonai panavelecha ve'yasem lecha shalom Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'shem Yeshua, Meshachinu, Sar Shalom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen.